Well, another mediocre job, wasn't it? <laughs> this is Labor Day weekend, in a sense, the last hurrah of summer. It also is a time when we recognize those who labor, those who work. And probably most of us appreciate and value work and are grateful for the jobs we have. I know there are those who understand work to be a part of the curse of sin. In other words, we would not have to work had Adam and Eve not sinned. But I should remind you, they had the responsibility of tending the garden before sin came into the world. As a matter of fact, we also know that work invigorates us. There was one commentator I read that said, paradoxically, their energy expands as it is expended. Have you noticed that in your life? I know that's not true with everybody. But I know that it is true with many people, especially those who value work, that they get more energy as they do their work. And then Voltaire said that work frees us from three great evils, boredom, vice, and need. So today I want to speak to you about work and life. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, beginning in verse number 13. And we're going to see a parable of the Lord here concerning work. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, as we look at this story, I want us to build on it, and we begin by understanding that work provides us with our possessions. If you did not inherit well, then you must work to obtain it. Now, there are those who believe that if someone has wealth, that possessions then are a sign of sin. That if someone is wealthy, then that person cannot be a spiritual person. And yet the Bible tells us that it is God who gives us the ability to get wealth. The Scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make well. So according to the Bible then, it is God who gives us the power to make well. Whatever potential you have, whatever opportunity you have, the Bible tells us that God gives to us the opportunities that are ours that we might gain well. 
But then the Scripture says that with our wealth, we are to honor God. So we read then in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So the Scripture then tells us that it is God who gives to us the opportunity to make wealth, and then we can honor God with the wealth He has given to us. So as I look at this story, the point of the story is not that wealth is sin, but greed is sin. Look at verse number 15. And he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed. An American journalist wrote, It is a good thing to have money and the things that money can buy, but it is a good thing to check up once in a while to make sure you have not lost the things that money can't buy. You see, the tendency and the temptation is that we become greedy. There is a danger then that the Lord is warning us about, and that is that greed is divisive. Greed divides man and God. You know the story of Adam and Eve I just referenced. Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect garden. They had everything. God gave them everything. Now, he said to them, in this garden, there is one tree. Don't touch that one. You can have everything else. Everything is available to you except the fruit of this one tree. Don't touch it. And then they began to covet the one tree that God had said they could not have. And when they took from the fruit of the forbidden tree... Their fellowship, their relationship with God was broken. They were divided. Their fellowship was divided as a result of it. But that's what greed does. It divides man's relationship with God. It divides families. You'll notice in verse number 13, And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. We all know families that have been torn asunder because of greed. Perhaps mom or dad died and, and they left the will and one got more than another or one thought they deserved more than another. And as a result of becoming greedy for what is left, then the family was torn asunder. That also happens to churches and it grieves me when I see it that a, that a church sometimes becomes more concerned about keeping what they have than using what they have to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, folks, sometimes God blesses us. He meets our needs. But then we become greedy. We want to protect. We want to keep. And so we try to hold on to that that God has given to us rather than to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So greed then is divisive. Not only that, it is deceitful because those things that we covet don't deliver what they promise, not a quality of life. You'll notice there in verse number 15b, For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. We think that my life would be 
full, my life would be joyful, I would be happy if I had all of this money. And yet we know somewhere in the back of our minds that simply is not so. In fact, Solomon said, who had a little bit of money, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Isn't it interesting? There was a time in your life you thought, if I, if I can just ever have whatever it is you have right now, I would be the happiest person in the world. And then you got it, and what do you think now? Well, if I can get just a little bit more, I'll be happy. That's why Solomon said it never brings happiness. Money can never bring happiness to you. Henry Ford said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie wrote, millionaires who laugh are rare. My experience is that wealth is apt to take the smiles away. You see, we all know people who have money and who are not happy. I used to live in a neighborhood with a family, and, and they, had a, uh, they had made a lot of money. It was oil money, and they had made a lot of money, and, and they had a big house, and everybody in the family had a, had a nice car and all that. They just had a lot of money. And that was the biggest mess I ever saw in my life. I mean, there was no happiness there. They had money, but they didn't have anything else. And that's what the Bible tells us, that, that it is deceitful because it does not provide us with the quality of life, nor can it provide us with quantity of life. It cannot extend our life. Voltaire said to his doctor, I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will give me six months' life. You see, sometimes we get to thinking that if I have wealth, then that will give me quality in life. It will extend my life. And yet it is deceitful because it cannot deliver what it promises. It is also destructive. You remember a few years ago, I guess two or three years ago, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but the man in West Virginia who won the lottery, and I don't know how much money it was about $200 million. It was a lot of money that he won. And then later they did an interview with him, and he said his life had been a disaster, and he went on to say, I wish I'd never won the money. And I'm thinking, well, you know, he could have made both of us happier if he had just sent it this way. But, he, but, but the point is, is that greed, a desire for more, is destructive in this life. I have known people, and so have you, who have destroyed their health trying to obtain wealth. In fact, there is a museum in Deadwood, South Dakota, and it has this inscription there. It was left by a prospector. I lost my gun. I lost my horse. I am out of food. The Indians are after me. But I've got all the gold I can carry. Isn't that the way it is with us oftentimes? I mean, we lose our family, we lose everything, but I've got all the gold I can carry. Not only can it destroy our health, but also our character, and we all have been made aware of the Michael Vick thing. I'm not sure what all that means, but I, I, there, there is one part that confuses me, because I read in the paper that in the dogfighting and so forth that Sometimes he made two and three thousand dollars, and I well, you know, he needed the money. 
Now, apparently he's going to lose about $150 million as a result of it. But see, folks, that's what greed does to us. That's what, Whenever we think we just have to have more. And as a result of that, it destroys our character, not only presently, but also eventually. The Bible says in Hosea 13:6, as they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. Now, that is the danger of possessions, is that we become satisfied with worldly possessions. And as a result of that, we lose our love for God. Be careful. Be careful. When you love the world too much, you stop loving God. It's disappointing because it does not provide what we need most and what we want most. What do we really in our heart of hearts want? We want to know God. We... Don't we? I mean, I, really, in our hearts, we want to know God. But you see, the things of this world cannot provide that. First Peter 1.18 says, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile ways of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You see, folks... In our heart of hearts, we want to know God. But the Bible says the only way we know God is through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We want happiness. And I, and I, I look at Brittany and Paris and all these people that, that are on television. And, and they have a lot of money, so they say, but I don't sense much happiness there. We want peace, and yet we can only have peace in God Paul wrote in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those things we really want in our heart, to know God, joy, peace, it only comes from God. So, we work to provide possessions, and then our possessions have a tendency to tempt us to selfishness. Historically, money has not made people more generous. It has made them more selfish. Look at the pronouns there in verse number 18. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. But do you see that? When we get possessions, however we get them, there is a temptation, a tendency for us to become more selfish. In fact, um, Leona Helmsley died this last week, and I was reading an article. It says, uh, Leona Helmsley will spend eternity in a $1.4 million suburban mausoleum with a magnificent view. Alongside her beloved husband, Harry, and I think their dog. The ornate granite mausoleum boasts 1,300 square feet with a dozen Doric columns and stained glass windows recreating the Manhattan skyline, including the Empire State Building, once the crown jewel of the Helmsley Park. I think, my heavens! I told Lynn, I said, when I die, wrap me in a blanket and put me in a hole. 
I, if, if I have any money or anything, I want to use it now. You know, use, I like those little bumper stickers that I'm spending my children's inheritance. <laughs> but we, the, the point is, is that when we get, we have a tendency to become selfish. And so we don't go to church. Why? Because, well, that's my time. Sunday's my time. We don't tithe because it is my money. We have a lot of problems in our society because of my rights. If we understood that God is the owner and we are simply stewards of that that belongs to Him, it would change things. You see, the Bible says that everything belongs to God. In Exodus chapter 19, 5, all the earth is mine. <laughs> God says it's all mine, folks. It's all mine. And so we are simply stewards of that that belong to God. We are managers of that that God entrusts to us. God has given you whatever it is that He has given to you. You are to manage it to His glory, but the Bible says that it is all His. So we work then to get possessions. Possessions tempt us to selfishness. And then selfishness focuses or centers on Security. In other words, when, when we have something, then we try to hold on to it. And that was the farmer. So in verse number 17, and he began reasoning to himself. So he has this bumper crops and he begins reasoning. He's a reasonable man. Look at verse number 18. He said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. So he is going to protect his possessions. So he has his possessions, he has become selfish with them, and now then he is going to protect them. Don't we have that same thing? We hold things that are not ours a little too tightly? Or is that just me? We have a tendency to hold things that are not ours a little too tightly. And so we try to protect what we have. Our health, and, and that's a good thing. We exercise, we take our vitamins, we do all of those things. Why? Because we want to protect our health. Our possessions, we do the same thing with them. So we have insurance for everything. And I'm not opposed to insurance. But we have health insurance. Why do we have health insurance? Because if we know that if we go to the hospital and we spend a week there, that we come out with nothing if we come out. And I want you to have health insurance because I don't want to pay for your hospital stay. So you need hospital insurance. And then we have accident insurance in case we have a wreck and, and uh, we have some attorney that wants to sue us or something. Now, I want you to have accident insurance because if you run into me, I, I want you to have the money to repair my car. So I want you to have the insurance. But the point that I'm making is that when we get something, we try to hold on to it. And now that becomes our focus that we're going to hang on it. So selfishness then focuses on security. So I work to have, and then I become selfish as a result of it, and now I'm trying to hold on to it. And then security allows for pleasure. Once we've got it secure, now then we can start enjoying life. Is that right? I've been working for it. I have it now. i become a little selfish concerning it. Now that I'm trying to protect it, I'm trying to hold on to it. When I get it secure, now then I can start enjoying life. Now that was the plan of the farmer, verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, he had a plan. 
how he was going to secure what he had. And now then it is secured. He has his plan. It is secured. So now then he can enjoy life. So he said, take your ease. The word ease there means to repose, refresh, stop. He's ready for retirement now. He's going to play golf every day with Calvin Falkenberry and Bob Newell and Larry Joe Bass and those guys. Every day he's out there playing golf. Take your ease and then marry, which means to put in a good frame of mind. In fact, I like the cotton patch version of that. Rise and shine, dine fine, and recline. Well, that's where he was. He, he had made it. He's going to protect it. And now he's going to enjoy it. But you see, our quest for pleasure never turns out like we think, does it? And that's the reason that Solomon said it's vanity. It's all empty. The things of this life, they're empty. They don't satisfy. They just don't turn out like we think. Well, security allows for pleasure. Once we get it nailed down, I think that it's secure. I've got my plan. Now then I can start to enjoy life. The problem is, is that pleasure, a focus on pleasure ignores eternity. The farmer was committed to the present. That's what he was looking at. He was simply committed to the present, to the immediate. Let me ask you, what about your focus? Are you just focused on what I have right now? Are you focused on just today? Because the farmer wasn't thinking about facing God. He was thinking about the present, what he had, protecting it, enjoying it. But he wasn't thinking about facing God. Same thing is true with the story of Dives. You know, Lazarus and the rich man. And, and the Bible says that the rich man had everything as far as life was concerned here. And then he died and he was separated from God. He went to hell. Now, he, he enjoyed life, but he was only focused on the present. He wasn't focused on meeting God. Have you given attention to eternity? As you look at life, seriously, as you look at life, are you really focused on eternity? Are you focusing on graduating from high school? Are you focusing on graduating from college, getting a job? Are you focused on the next job? Are you focused on retirement? What are you focused on? Are you considering eternity? Because you see, judgment is certain. And you'll notice there in verse number 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? We may neglect the thought of eternity, but it looms before all of us, and when judgment comes, it will come unannounced. There is no two-minute warning. When it comes, it will come unannounced. Farmer went to bed with no thought. This might be his last night alive. It was unannounced. It was unexpected. Those who focus on the immediate don't expect judgment. Look at verse number 17. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? He said, Well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grains, my good. And I'll say to myself, So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He had no thought whatsoever that that was his last night of life. And you know what? 
My guess is there are some of you here who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. And you have absolutely no thought that this could be the last service, the last opportunity that you will ever have to be saved. And it may not be, but one will. One will. You see, friend, there's coming a time when we will hear the gospel proclaimed the very last time. There's coming a time when we will go to church for the very last time. There's coming a time when we will not have another opportunity because it will come to an end. Unannounced, unexpected, and the farmer was unprepared. Albert Barnes said, What folly to think that all that a man lives for is to satisfy his sensual appetites, to forget that he has an intellect to be cultivated, a heart to be purified, a soul to be saved. But as I was reading the story, there are some lessons here I think we learn from the farmer. First of all, we work to provide possessions. And it is God who gives us the ability to have. Possessions, however, tempt us to selfishness. There's no, there's no sin in possessions, but in greed. And the temptation is that we become greedy. Selfishness focuses on security because I want to secure what I have. I want to hold on to what I have. Security allows for pleasure. Once I get it secured, I think, now then I can start enjoying life. But the danger is, is that pleasure ignores eternity. That we're only looking short term without considering that we're going to face God. What I'm asking today is that we come to an invitation time, that you look beyond the immediate and look into eternity. Are you ready to face God? Have you been forgiven of your sin? Are you a child of God? Would you go to heaven if you died? That's what I want you to ask. Are you prepared to face God? Our Father and God, we come to a time of invitation, and I pray, Father, that you might reveal to us what you see in our hearts. Lord, for so many of us, we get so caught up in the day today that we neglect eternity. And you have promised, you have told us, and we know that one day we're going to stand before you. Father, I especially pray for those who have never come to know Jesus that today they might. Lord, I pray that you will burden their hearts, convict them that today they would come to trust Christ. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.